It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. Since we've moved into phase three of recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic, we thought that we would continue to give you the same great content that we've been giving to you every week, with a little twist. On top of that, there was also the racial revolution that came as a result of George Floyd's murder, as well as the deaths of Regis Korczynski-Paquette and numerous others, even in Toronto. So as a result, we decided that instead of focusing on COVID, which was less and less of an issue for most people, we would focus on looking at the decisions that our political leaders are making through a Black lens. Because at the end of the day, as we've already pointed out, we are going through a racial revolution. And so it is now high time to observe and analyze our leaders and their decisions to make sure that they are truly acting in our best interest. We hope that you'll support us as we make this transition. And we ask for your um, patience as we work through our, our first pilots as we transition into this new stage. So it's been a while since we spoke to you guys, but in the three weeks that we've been gone, there has been a lot of discussion around an organization that has done some great work in Canada called WE. Mm. My position is we need to not get distracted by what I think is small stuff. Right. And here's the reality of the situation, right? So everybody gets mad at this government for engaging in what is seen as unethical behavior. Right. The next party that is most likely to win is the Conservative Party. Right. The Conservative Party uh, rolls It's a cesspool full of unacceptable behavior. Right. They, they, they end up rolling back all the, the progress we've made, and then they still engage in unethical behavior. Yep. So, yep. like, what, what, what are you guys thinking about? Yep. That's my you know what I mean? Exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Like, we have to... So what I've been saying to certain people who, like, try, quite frankly, tried to call me out about not talking about it is I'm not talking about it because this isn't... Y'all got to keep your eye on the ball, man. You're, you're taking your eye off the ball. We have an opportunity right here, right now yeah. for real progress. Yeah. And, and didn't this all come up because he wanted to move the money to some post-secondary relief program? Yeah. So what the government was putting together was a, I'm forgetting exactly what it was called, a summer student grant program, I think. Is yeah, what it was I remember called. this. Yep. Yep. Right. And so the idea was, okay, so... On the one hand, we have a whole bunch of students who uh, will not have a way to work, right? And they'll need a way to pay for their education as well. I I understand that argument because that that argument applied to me, right? Right. And we also have a whole bunch of charities that their giving has dried up and there's no one to help them to help their constituents. Right. So this was a way to marry or to solve two problems with one solution. Right. Right. 
And let's also remember what Andrew Scheer said when he first made this an issue. He said his issue was that Justin Trudeau gets a free audience to promote liberal values. That's his problem. He doesn't care about the ethics of it. He just doesn't want Trudeau to have access to people to talk to. So, I mean, you need to focus on what is really at stake here. I think the, the one way that government gets better is when there is some discussion about the need for greater oversight when it comes to things like we. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people didn't realize that some of these people, because like, sure, Margaret Trudeau went to go speak at WE, but I don't think anyone thought she was getting compensated for that, you know? Like, I think everybody probably assumed that, listen, you're the prime minister's, or you're, forget forget Justin, like, you're the former prime minister's um, wife mm-hmm. um, or widow, so you should be on some kind, you should be okay to... to speak at these kinds of things and not get paid, you know, six figures for it. So I think, I think there's merit in, in discussing how they've played out. I think, I think there's merit in that. That's- you know, there's merit. Don't get me wrong, man. Cause like bullshit is bullshit, right? Bullshit right. is bullshit. My perspective is let's not conflate talking about this issue in order to make things better for the future. Let's not conflate fixing our charitable giving sector, let's say with trying at all costs to destroy the government. That, that's all I'm saying, right? It's one or the other. Because I agree. I don't, I don't necessarily think that the, the government has a problem with it. I just think it's just rich people not thinking about it. Like, think about it. That's, like, I, I think so too. Yeah. Like, for example, I mean, straight up, even the fact that I, I remember when this was first on the scene as a problem and people were like, oh, Margaret Trudeau got paid $312,000? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, she got paid that as a speaker and she's a prominent person. She's represented by a speaker's bureau. So that, that happens. That's what speakers do. Yeah. And it's not like she got that $312,000 in one sitting. She got it over five years. Oh, she did? Is that? Oh, that's right. That's there. That's there. Yeah. When you look at the, you already know how I am. I like to look at the details, the minutia of any situation. The details, I mean, look, it does look bad. Yeah. But when you look at the details, it tells a, it doesn't tell a bad story. It's a story that can be spun clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not actually what happened. Yeah. I think that, that, that that's, it's fair. It's fair that we're having this, this real like political kind of banter about the value of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, we just need to keep our eye on the ball. We need to stop being distracted by things from the opposition that are literally just distractions because at the end of the day, they don't mean anything. And we need to continue forcing this government, encouraging this government to invest in Canadians. All right. Let's talk about the money. Not not the money with we, the the money of the economy. I was like, is he confused? So moving on to the economy, uh, CERB is ending. And it'll be replaced with a 21st century alternative. That's what Justin Trudeau is saying. He's saying, bottom line, if you still need help after CERB ends in October, you'll still get it. But it'll be coming from a new EI system. And even if you can't access EI now, there'll be a special EI tract made for those who, for example, work in the gig economy. More details on that are to come. It's good that help isn't disappearing altogether. But I'm honestly disappointed that this wasn't used as a springboard to universal basic income, which by the way, was in Justin Trudeau's election campaign. What do you think, Patience? Yeah, I think, 
in addition to the disappointment, because I share in that disappointment with you, more perhaps painful or, or harmful is all of this vitriol that has been spread about people misusing CERB. That still continues to you know, show up in newspaper headlines and, mm-hmm. and in, in news stories. And I don't think that people are on the same page as, as you and I, Curtis, when it comes to um, recognizing the need for just a universal basic income in a country that is as developed as we are. Do, do you see that as well? To be honest, no. I mean, I, I remember a time where talking about universal basic income or any sort of social uh, help for individuals was, was massively frowned upon, right? You couldn't get very far. We are absolutely in a different time right now where more people, and I would actually say the majority of people, um, are actually in support of UBI, just like the majority of people were in, in, in support of CERB. I think that there are still people that are vocal and they have this old school mindset about spending and they, you know, quite frankly, they choose not to actually look at the benefits of what a UBI would do. And so we just have to, in a way, on the one hand, we have to keep trying to win over hearts and minds. And on the other hand, we have to just, just, we have to just say, you know what, screw you guys. If you, if you guys don't get it, then you don't get it. <laughs> But isn't that maybe why the the government decided not to go forward with turning CERB into a UBI because there was some resistance from maybe the, the squeaky wheels, the loudest voices? I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation that can go into why the decision wasn't made now. You know, the one decision could be that literally the entire government is focused on rolling out other programs. Like, yeah. But we'll, we'll kind of have to wait to see what happens over the next year or two, especially if there's an election. Because what what also could be at play is that Justin Trudeau knows that that's is significant. It's very significant. And he's in a minority situation. And so he has to make sure that if he has an election that he has to fight, he has something to put forth. Yeah. I keep hearing this, you know, $1.2 trillion debt load. And I think that people are, are really closely tying that trillion dollar debt to serve, and I just want to be really clear that those are not the same thing. No. Um, no. That that $1.2 trillion federal debt load has carried a number of the programs, or all of the programs, obviously. All the programs, yeah. <laughs> like, duh. But also the fact that we haven't really been generating as much, our economy has shrunk down, also has a lot to do with that debt load. So mm-hmm. for those of you who are seeing that $1.2 trillion, just want you, you to know that that is not Mandam taking your CERB, that has no. nothing to do. <laughs> that's, that's not it. And, and quite frankly, quite yeah. frankly I've, I've never really understood the argument that, oh, if, if you give social assistance in any form to somebody and they spend it on X, Y, Z, they could be spending it wrong. I, how, that doesn't make sense. It because doesn't. at the end of the day, you are injecting money into the economy. Exactly. That's it. So All you're doing is cycling it back in. You're cycling back in. Yeah. People need to understand that. The money's not disappearing. It disappears when you give it to rich people. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to put it into perspective, like back in the 90s, I remember there was a, there was a, well, not that I remember because I was paying attention at that time, but I did research the fact that there was a study done in the 1990s in, in Toronto that looked at whether or not people were taking advantage of the social assistance system. They actually put together an entire operation, an entire phone line and everything where a snitch line where they said, hey, if you think that some, your neighbor or somebody is you know, using their social assistance to go buy liquor, snitch on them. And you know what ended up happening, patients? What? The cost to run the program 
was more expensive than the amount of people. Good for them. Good for them. So this idea... That's what you get for making up a snitch line, fam. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, go do something better with your time. Right? Like, come on. How about about going after rich people and their tax evasion? How about that? Exactly. Your your bank account's in Panama. You're out here talking about... (laughs) (laughs) You actually cheesed me. (laughs) (laughs) That's the example I always bring up when people try to say that nonsense. Because it's like, no, we've already gone through this. Like, come on, just do your research, man. Anyway. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, so patience. I know you stay living in the book of Revelations these days. What's happening around the world? Yo, guys, I've been telling you guys, year 2020, from murder hornets to COVID-19 to locusts, now we're talking about UFO sightings by the U.S. Pentagon. Mm. Earlier this year, the Pentagon released three videos of UFOs recorded by the Navy. One taken in 2004, the other two taken in 2015. Why they're coming out this year, I don't know. I think people are bored at home and just need something to watch. But also happening right now is the Pentagon's UFO unit has been renamed and relocated outside the Office of Naval Intelligence, which is kind of indicative of of them coming together. Mm -hmm. This will apparently soon, the UFO unit will be making their findings public. So Mm -hmm. all these people out here who are telling you that they've seen stuff in the sky, fam, you're probably going to get to see what they've been talking about. So that's (laughs) That's the latest chapter from the Book of Revelation, a.k.a. year 2020. Do you believe in aliens? I believe that it would be very arrogant of us to believe that in all of the galaxies, mm-hmm. we galaxies. are the only living... Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That we are the only living species. What about you? I have to agree fully. Mm-hmm. What kind of arrogance would we be exhibiting, eh? Oh, we are everything mm-hmm. and the only. That's it. No, I, I'm, there has to be. There has to be something out there. We'll, we'll find out soon enough. On the other hand, though, this could be a way for, you know, Trump's administration of the U.S. government to try to distract certain people. Now, in fairness, this did start even under Obama's administration. So I don't think so. Um, but we do have to kind of be aware, just, just like with, with the Wii scandal, right? Let's, let's stay focused on what's actually important. And I'm so glad you brought that up because a developing story that we'll be covering from now until Tuesday, November 3rd, 
mm-hmm. is exactly that, the U.S. election. Mm-hmm. So I just want to remind you guys, I know that we're not going to be the ones voting, but yes, 2020 can get even worse. It absolutely can. So we're going to be keeping you up to date with the straight facts on this election that will be sure to focus on things that impact us. And you know what I mean by, by, by us mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and the rest of Canada as we move towards November. So, so first things first, Trump has already started talking about postponing the election. Yeah. Uh, the, the reality is, though, that he has no power to do that because the U.S. president does not have control over any of the houses of the U.S. Congress. And that decision to postpone an election can only be made by the U.S. Congress. So it's not going to happen. But the fact that he's talking like that, yeah, deeply concerning. Deeply, deeply concerning. I'm so glad that you said that because what, what I've been thinking, and maybe this is a tad conspiracy theorist, but I wonder if he will allow a second wave to come of COVID-19 in order to prevent the election if the polls are not in his favor? Uh, I mean, look, I I think I would be a fool to say, no, that is not, I mean, we're talking about Trump here. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And the reality is that it's interesting though, because on the one hand, it's like, yeah, it's Trump that we're talking about. And so he knows that his base doesn't really care about COVID so he can get away with doing certain things. But at the same time, I mean, if you look at what happened last week or maybe two weeks ago when he finally decided to wear the mask, he decided to wear that mask because he saw that his numbers were tanking. So to not take COVID, uh, it's hard to talk about Trump, man. He's so incoherent that I can't even speak coherently about it. It defeats reason. It does. I have no, I can't use reason. Yeah, yeah. I uh. (laughs) <laughs> yep. I'll save you the, the, the Trump talk, though. I, I think your, your point is really well taken. What, what, one thing that I, I wanted, because I, I always want to come to you guys with, with some hope, right? So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Trump is acting a fool. He wants to postpone the election. So let, let's, let's keep our eyes out for that. But maybe a, a little dash of hope is Joe Biden has not yet picked a running mate. And he has about 10 top contenders. And guess what, Curtis? Guess what? I think I know. Tell me. They're all women. Yes. Okay. And more than half of them are women of color. Four of them are black women. Yo, I'm ready to call a black woman Madam Vice President. What are you saying? You're kidding me, dog. And if Biden dies, which I hope he doesn't, but if Biden dies, I'm ready to call her Madam President. Are you nuts? I mean, it's not unlikely. Like it's not unlikely. Not at all. Yeah. He's a good man. And we have to remember in Canada, we, we, we talk so, so boldly, so brazenly about how we had a female prime minister, but why did she get there, fam? Yeah, she got there because the prime minister at the time, Brian Mulroney, resigned. Yeah, yeah. And she won the party's election. Yeah, so sometimes that's how it, yeah. yeah. Sometimes that's how it be, you know, something happens to the, 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 the head of state and, you know, you're, you're there, you're in the cut. So you get a chance in. So if Biden wins the election with one of these running mates, this could be the first woman VP in U.S. history. And it could be the first woman, like, you know, and we don't think that anything's going to happen, but, you know, it, it could be the first woman to, to be in, in the seat of at least acting president in U.S. history. 
Mm-hmm. And like people, meaning the democratic electorate, are really, really pushing for there to be a black woman. Yep, they are. I was going to ask you, I mean, have you been paying attention to like the individual candidates and do you have a favorite? So I, I don't know if you remember, uh, maybe it was two, three years ago, a woman was running to be governor of uh, Georgia. Abrams, Stacey yes, Abrams. Stacey Abrams. And she was robbed. Robbed. It was, cl- it was a first year political science 101 class in voter suppression in mm-hmm. Georgia. Mm-hmm. Clear voter suppression, like closing the polls in the black areas two hours before they close them in the white areas. Mm-hmm. Discounting votes because people check the box instead of put, filling in the box or putting an X or all that kind of stuff. So 101 class of voter suppression. Not so to mention the standard gerrymandering Exactly. So she was robbed of that election. So I really want Stacey Abrams to be chosen to be selected as Joe Biden's running mate. That being said, I'm fine with Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's also a contender. And I'm also fine with, I believe her name is Susan Rice, mm-hmm. who was a former United States ambassador to the United Nations. You're not fine with Kamala Harris, huh? Um, let's just move on. I yeah, oh, okay. yeah I I, I hear what you're saying. I think what, what we're witnessing, Curtis, is, is a unique moment where if Kamala Harris was going against Elizabeth Warren, which also Elizabeth Warren is also in the race, mm-hmm. um, then I would like it, it's, it's hard for me with, with Kamala Harris because I felt like she really tried to bury that part of her history, mm. which I get it is probably just part of, of how American politics works, but it, it just felt icky to me. And when there are some other really strong black women in the race, Kamala Harris has name recognition, which is helpful in terms of uh, my vote for someone with integrity. She's not, uh, she's not my pick. Interesting. So we're introducing a new segment this week, and we're just calling it Black Blackity Black, right, Chris? Black Blackity Black. (laughs) And this week, there are maybe, or there should be two things on your Black Blackity Black radar. The first is the death of John Lewis. So John Lewis was a freedom writer in Selma, Alabama. (laughs) He is credited as being the person to get voting equality with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And Lewis died on the same day as civil rights leader, Reverend Cordy Tyndall, or C.T. Vivian, who was 95 years old. What I think is really, really important to remember about John Lewis uh, and why, you know, President Barack Obama spoke at his funeral is that John Lewis had to get his skull cracked on the pavement of Selma, Alabama, in order for Black Americans, or not Black Americans, for all non-white Americans to be able to vote in elections. Yep. And although we live in another country a neighboring country of the U.S., 
a lot of our civil rights movements and, and the momentum that we got in order to receive inclusion in our policies was related to what happened south of the border with Voting Rights Act and the bills of rights and all the things that were happening south of the border in relation to the civil rights movement. So I think that we should all be honoring John Lewis. I was going to actually, um, I was going to read his, one of his most famous quotes. Please. Yeah, please. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It's the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. I love that. Necessary trouble. Yep. I don't know. His death really hit me. I I didn't get too sad, but it was like, my God, this is, I mean, this is, this is the change of the guard happening. Right. Exactly that. And it is now our responsibility. It is our generation's responsibility to take up the mantle of John Lewis and keep getting into good trouble and necessary trouble until we have achieved true equality. So I just thought that was really, really poignant. And perhaps on a lighter note, this week we saw Black is King come out. You know, Curtis, I know this is not your realm, but I want to know what have you been seeing or hearing or talking to people about when it comes to Beyonce and the Black is King visual album? So I haven't watched it yet myself. I have been seeing some responses, though. And interestingly enough, I've been seeing, I mean, I guess it's logical. I've been seeing arguments on both sides of the issue from the Black community. Always. Um, Right. And one argument is, well, you know, we shouldn't be uh, amplifying individuals as kings and queens because at the end of the day, that means that they have subjects and uh, subjects are usually susceptible to violence. So we shouldn't be using those kinds of titles. And then there's another argument where it's, you know, th- this is very good because it shows it, we should allow ourselves to imagine a state of Africa, even if it's not true. We should, we should have the freedom to imagine a state of Africa as we see fit. Yeah, I guess those are the two main arguments I'm saying. I still need to watch it to even know what people are talking about. Yeah, but I, I haven't watched it either, but I've, you know, gleaned a lot from the, the clips that I've been seeing online. And I think that to your to your latter point, there is a lot of merit in us kind of basking in this fully humanness, right? I think one of the downsides about living in places like North America and Europe is that we aren't permitted to be fully human beings Mm -hmm. we are seen as threats we are seen as animalistic or or whatever that even though it's the white folks who are violent and animalistic but okay talk the talk man anyway um but yeah like it's it's important that that someone like beyonce who has the position that she's in where white people even consume her content Mm -hmm. it's important that someone like that kind of continues to push back and humanize us again. And, and it's important, and I know people have different feelings about this, but it's important that we are tied to a land. And if Africa is that land that she wants to use, where we remember that we came from somewhere where we were equal, where we were respected, and that land was Africa, then I, I appreciate that. Which is not to say that 
you know, people in the Caribbean aren't respected, but it's, it's different, right? The, the Caribbean has its own indigenous history that is not necessarily like blackness in that same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really appreciate that there's content on the web that is reminding everyone, not us, not only us, but everyone that we are human beings and, and that we, we matter. We deserve to live. We should be celebrated. And we can indeed be royalty. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis. So subscribe to stay up to date. Black people, you know this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs. I'm on Instagram at Patience Eve. And I'm on Instagram at State of Vermont. See y'all next time. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U. T-A-N-T-E for all your graphic design needs. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 